Oral questions by members. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, last month the Prime Minister exempted East Coast homes from the carbon tax, a move that acknowledged the rising and crushing cost of rising heating bills. I've repeatedly called for this Premier to extend the same relief to BC residents. Exempt carbon tax on all home heating fuels, but he has outright refused. Now we find the NDP is desperately scrambling to find another hollow, big and shiny distraction to deflect from their inaction on skyrocketing living costs. So here's a simple question for the Premier. Instead of looking for more big and shiny distractions, why doesn't he follow every other Premier in the country and fight for British Columbians in removing carbon taxes from all home heating fuels? Premier. There's really no question with uh, rising interest rates, uh, with uh, global inflation impacts that we're seeing here in British Columbia, uh, that families are struggling. They need help with affordability. Uh, and uh, I certainly uh, would welcome uh, the opposition joining with us to call for fair treatment for British Columbians by the federal government in a number of different programs, uh, including the uh, heat pump program. You know, families that are dependent on fuel oil, the dirtiest, the most expensive way to heat your home, when they hear that fuel truck pull up and they know they're going to get a bill for more than $1,000, they don't want to heat their homes this way, but they can't afford to transition to something cheaper like clean BC electricity. If they had fair access to the same program that Atlantic Canadians do, they would be able to switch. And that's where our government's going. We're reducing emissions and costs at the same time for British Columbians. Now, I know the member across the way has abandoned climate action. I know he no longer thinks it's a good idea. His big climate action plan is to fight forest fires and to re-embrace Christy Clark's worn-out LNG plans from 2013. But I'll tell you this, Honourable Speaker, we're not going to quit action on climate, and we're not going to quit looking for ways to provide affordability to British Columbians. Member. Opposition House Leader Supplemental. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, on this side of the House, we actually want to see climate results which is a lot different from what we're seeing over on that side of the house. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, the fact of the matter is that winter heating bills are now hitting British Columbians right now, and yet the Premier stands idly by, refusing to offer any relief to those that are struggling. Families are being squeezed with one in seven families now being forced to choose between heating their homes and basic necessities like food and medicine. British Columbia, remember, under this NDP government, has become the most unaffordable province in the entire country. That's your record, Premier. Yet he is stubbornly refusing to fight for British Columbians and refuses to give the public, a million of them, a million households, a break on their home heating costs. So again to the Premier, why won't this Premier stop his tax grab on families who can't afford the heating bills because of his relentless carbon tax increases. Premier. Well, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the member's right. People need support. You know, they need support right now. Um, members, and members. our government is taking action uh, to provide affordability for people. We've got to do more. And I send a message out to ministers that they have to find more ways to support people with affordability. 
But there is, uh, there is some good news about, uh, about what we're doing in the province. Uh, I don't know if the members saw on the cover of the Globe and Mail this weekend, uh, coverage of the most livable cities in Canada. And I think it's fair to compare us with other provinces. What's it like to live in British Columbia compared with other provinces? This data-driven project found that six of the top 10 most livable cities in Canada are in British Columbia. the number one and the number two spots. In fact, 60% of the top 20 uh, most livable cities in Canada are in British Columbia, despite us being 14% of the population. 60% of the most livable cities for young professionals are in BC. 70% of the most livable cities for people entering midlife are in BC. 60% of the most livable cities for newcomers are in BC. 50% of the most livable cities for entrepreneurs are in BC. We had a lot to be proud of in BC, but I accept the member's point. We have a lot more work to do on affordability, and I'm happy to hear his next question so I can go through all we've been doing on affordability, knowing that we've got a lot more to do. Leader of the Official Opposition, second supplemental. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, this is truly incredible. Uh, he likes to go on about how it's the most livable place. The reality is people can't afford to live here, Mr. Speaker. Go ahead and clap. Yes, clap to the fact that you've got us to be the most unaffordable jurisdiction in North America when it comes to housing. That's your record. Mr. Speaker, families are desperate for actual relief on their home heating bills. That's the reality, and the NDP want to talk about their big and shiny distractions and hollow announcements that they want to make. But on every front, we see the same thing, this massive chasm between the rhetoric on that side and the results that people actually have to live and deal with every single day. We know that further confidential BC Hydro documents that were obtained by the opposition confirm that there's growing panic as their cost BC scheme fails to account for the fact that we need a heck of a lot more electricity generation to actually see emission reductions. And it's very revealing, Mr. Speaker, what the NDP say when they think nobody is listening. So a simple question for the Premier. Can the Premier confirm if he's going to overrule the BC Utilities Commission and instruct BC Hydro to ignore the independent regulator? Premier. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. The member wants to talk about BC Hydro. Uh, let's talk about BC Hydro. Under his government, under the old government, BC Hydro rates skyrocketed 80%, Honourable Speaker. That's an average of 5% a year. Now, since we've been sworn into government, BC Hydro rates are currently 15.6% lower than the rate of inflation. Not just lower than the rate of inflation. Member. They're not just lower than the rate of inflation. They're 12.4% lower than the old government's 10 year rate plan, Honorable Speaker. That means savings of $140 for average households this year, $1,070 for average businesses, and $526,000 for average industrial customers. That's our record on BC Hydro and we took the tolls off the bridges. The Leader of the Opposition still says the tolls were a good idea. If he gets back in on this side, what's he going to do, Honourable Speaker? Now, the member on that side had the opportunity to take action. Members, members, he had the opportunity. members, 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 members. He had the opportunity to take action on ICBC. He declined. 
We did. We reduced ICBC premiums by $500 a year. He had the opportunity to take action on child care, Honourable Speaker. We're saving families $900 a month. We're going to keep looking for ways to provide affordability in ways that he could only dream of, Honourable Speaker. Member for Abbotsford West. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. The uh, confidential memo that the Leader of the Opposition referred to, and the Premier did everything he could to ignore, is dated November 20th, one week ago today. The memo makes it clear that the government sees itself as having a choice between, on the one hand, respecting the independent jurisdictional authority of the BCUC, or providing a direction to overrule that authority, and in effect, not in effect, to actually raise rates that British Columbia families would be paying to create a slush fund that could be funneled into the Premier's politically appointed task force. The memo says the following, quote, under a directed scenario, flexibility around allowable net income could fund task force initiatives. The question, the question for the Premier, is he planning to overrule the BCUC and use BC Hydro to funnel funds into his politicized task force? Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, our record on BC Hydro speaks for itself. This is, a, this is it's very obvious what the other side's record was when they were on this side. They directed BC Hydro through their independent power producers program to buy hydro we didn't need at times of the year when we didn't need it, increasing hydro Members. rates for British Columbians by 80 percent. Honourable Speaker. Members, 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 take it easy. Members. BC Hydro was forced to sell members. that power at a loss. And guess who paid for it, Honourable Speaker? Every single BC rate. That's why when we changed that program, Honourable Speaker, BC Hydro rates, that's right, we cancelled it. BC Hydro rates are 15.6% lower than inflation and 12% lower than the rates that if, that, if those guys were on this side of the house, British Columbians would be paying 12.6% higher hydro rates because that is how they ran the province for their donors and friends. And if they get back over here, they'll do it again. Member for Abbotsford West Supplemental. Thanks, Honourable Speaker. Electricity we didn't need from the party that opposed Site C, exactly. from the party that opposed independent power, exactly. who today are confronted by their own documentation saying we don't have enough electricity in British Columbia. Look, I know, I, know, I know the Premier doesn't want to answer the question. It's a specific question. It relates to a choice that he and his government have acknowledged exists. He set up a task force, a very political task force, and he's now confronted by having to either respect the independent jurisdictional authority of the BCUC or overruling that via direction to funnel funds into what would in effect be a political slush fund. Mr. Speaker, 
And the question for the Premier today, he was all too anxious to stand up and answer for the Minister last week when we were confronted by these documents. Is he going to overrule the BCUC? And is he going to create a slush fund or is he going to do the right thing and respect ratepayers in British Columbia and respect the BCUC? Honourable Speaker, it is very difficult to listen to a member on the other side who was part of the government that forced through IPP projects, so BC Hydro sold hydro at a loss, which was paid for by families across the province, and then they took big donations to fund their party. Over and over members, and over again, they repeated members, that, that pattern. Now, we members, got the big money out of politics. Members, please, just continue. Well, British Columbians got the BC Liberals out of government. And then we got the big money out of politics, and the results are in. BC Hydro rates are 12.4% lower than that government's 10-year rate plans. If they were still in government, the average family would be paying $140 more a year in BC Hydro. So this member can make up whatever members. nonsense he wishes. But the reality for families is $140 in savings, and we're going to do more, Honourable Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Recently, the responsibility for the Water Sustainability Act was transferred from the Ministry of Forest to the Ministry of Water, Land, Resource Stewardship. I see this as a positive step after the Ministry of Forests failed to ensure that water users across BC were properly supported to license their wells. This is only the beginning of the necessary work for creating water security in BC. Regional water tables are key to ensuring success and engaging locals in a proactive, positive and constructive way of equal importance is addressing the groundwater licensing failures that has plagued this province and unnecessarily hurt farmers and small businesses. My question is to the Minister of Water, Land, Resource Stewardship. Will he commit to ensuring that the licensing of non-residential groundwater users will be reset in good faith, that staff will work to support licensing processes, and that there will be regional water tables co-led with First Nations in every region in BC? Minister of Water, Land and Resource Stewardship. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. First of all, I'd like to acknowledge my colleagues' uh, understanding and recommendation of what was done recently in aligning the authorities, particularly water, within one ministry. This is something the Premier and I and others heard directly from the Cattlemen's Association, from foresters, from people in industry, from environmental groups, and particularly from First Nations. Facing the unprecedented drought, and the effects of climate change that we see in so many of our communities, the devastating effect. My member's specific question was with regards to water licensing. There had been an initial three-year program that was then extended. We are working with water users around the province to make sure that the licensing uh, is done in a good way because, as my friend would acknowledge, if we can't measure, then we can't manage. There remain some challenges that we are facing on directly. We are just doing our realignment of staffing resources right now. With respect to water tables, which was also part of the question, Mr. Speaker, we looked to the Koksala leadership in the water table that was set up there, Nicola Valley, and others around the province 
where First Nations are engaging with us in a government-to-government -government way, setting up water tables to have those conversations, Mr. Speaker, with all of the water users within a particular water basin. That in line with the $100 million watershed security fund that we established, again with First Nations partnership, paints towards the more bright future for British Columbia so that we can have those important conversations in advance of the drought conditions. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Leader of the Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the clear response from the Minister and glad to hear that the, in particular, licensing process will be done in a good way. The government's job is to protect people and the environment and to regulate industry. Currently, there is a shipbreaking industry emerging in this province with no clear regulatory framework attached to it. In Baines Sound, where 50% of BC's shellfish is produced, a company is actively dismantling freighters full of toxic materials. But the province has been silent about this unfolding environmental disaster and unclear on who takes responsibility. Comox First Nation and residents of the region can't get answers to which ministry is responsible for regulating and enforcing shipbreaking in this province. So it will be very helpful to get this on the record through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Water, Land, Resource Stewardship. Is his ministry responsible for regulating and enforcing shipbreaking? And if it is not his ministry, then which ministry is it? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. I have been monitoring, as have uh, the Environmental Protection Division, certain aspects of shipbreaking that have to do with the limited parameters of the Environmental Management Act that have to do with the release of pollutants. Uh, this is complicated. It is also the uh, Canadian Coast Guard as well as uh, the federal government that, uh, that has jurisdiction over other aspects of this. And uh, we are monitoring what is going on. We are waiting uh, for the Canadian uh, Coast Guard to deal with the fact that there is a ship sitting uh, for which uh, no breaking activity has been authorized by them. Uh, they are also saying that that ship cannot be moved. I know the, uh, the MLA for the area, the uh, Minister of uh, Energy Mines and Low Carbon Innovation, has met with uh, people in the area on a number of occasions. We are continually monitoring. We are concerned, but this is a mixed jurisdiction, and uh, we are waiting for the federal government as well as looking for any violations of our own laws in British Columbia. House Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. This NDP government is replacing the four-lane Patalo Bridge with another four-lane bridge. They're replacing the four-lane Massey Tunnel with another four-lane tunnel. They're supposedly widening the number one in the Fraser Valley, but as of yet, nothing of substance is happening yet. So far, the only thing that's been successfully expanded are the bike lanes, which cities seem to be in charge of. <coughs> Mr. Speaker, this NDP government failure to plan for the future is costing British Columbians. It's costing all of us tax money, as the costs of red tape, community benefit agreements, and the delays pile up and up and up. It's also costing British Columbians precious time with their family as they sit in Question. endless traffic grid idling. In my home community of Abbotsford, Question, member. parents are losing precious time from their children and sitting idle in the traffic. My question, Mr. Speaker, to the Minister of Infrastructure, 
When can Abbotsford expect, Abbotsford residents expect, the highway to be widened to six lanes or more so that they can get home faster after work to spend time with their kids? Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure. Thank you, uh, thank, you, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And it's, uh, it's great to hear from this member uh, on this project because um, and it was, I know it was so three months ago that he was a member of a different party, uh, but I didn't hear from him once uh, on this project in all of that time. So congratulations on switching affiliations and discovering uh, Highway 1 through the Fraser Valley as a key infrastructure priority of this government, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> I'm sure he can't help but notice driving through the corridor that there is significant construction activity happening on Highway 1 now. I'm sure he knows from talking to former and current municipal colleagues who we're working with uh, on expanding this important trade corridor, which of course links British Columbia to the rest of the Canada, and of which we were reminded of its importance for goods movement uh, during the atmospheric rivers uh, two years ago. Uh, that we are working with those local governments, we are working with First Nations communities uh, to improve this corridor. It has not had significant investment in it since the 1960s, and now there are literally billions of dollars allocated by this government into making the most significant improvements to Highway 1 through the Fraser Valley Corridor in generations, Mr. Speaker. That's what we're doing. House Leader of Fourth Party Supplemental. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, but I didn't hear a date. Mr. Speaker, how can residents of the Fraser Valley believe anything this government says when they have failed to build desperately needed hospital in Surrey? They are sending more and more and more of our kids to school in portables, and they can't get even one meter. That's right, just one metre of new SkyTrain track built for this new station in the Surrey-Langley. Minister of Transportation. Minister. It's quite a gamut of issues there, Mr. Speaker, but I'll take the question as being about the Surrey-Langley SkyTrain because, again, our government, the first government in 30 years to be building south of the Fraser SkyTrain additions. <laughs> member ought to know because I believe we've briefed him on the details of this project. It is exciting. It is new. It is going to be eight new stations, a 17-kilometer extension, uh, billions of dollars. We confirmed a federal uh, contribution of $1.3 billion. Um, Transit-oriented development uh, is, a, is a feature. Uh, municipalities that are part of this line are updating their neighbourhood plans uh, as we speak. And the project is underway. Pre-construction activity is happening right now. They are widening the Fraser Highway in order to build the guide rails uh, down on the new line. Uh, there are uh, workers being hired on the project. We're in the advanced stages of an RFP process. This is going to be, Mr. Speaker, the most exciting mass transit project uh, in decades in British Columbia. It is going to... Thank you, it, Mr. It is evidence of our new way of doing business as a government because no longer are we taking a build it and they will come approach. We are saying, Thank Let you. us align our transportation investments with our interest in building tens of thousands of units of affordable housing. 
uh, transportation, housing, hand in hand, Mr. Speaker. That's Thank a you. national conversation that the government of British Columbia is leading. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, it all becomes clear now why the Energy Minister felt the need to write herself a note saying, help the Premier understand the scale. Because the Premier, based on his previous answers, certainly doesn't understand we don't have enough electricity in British Columbia, and they've cancelled how many projects. In fact, two weeks ago, the government tried to dismiss their own cost BC data, which paints a very grim picture of forcing the BC economy to grind to a halt because of lack of electrical capacity. Then, only last week, the memo from the Energy Minister admitted the same thing. Industries are being forced to scale back their projects due to a lack of electricity. And now, another piece falls into place. A confidential briefing note from BC Hydro itself that shows the NDP's cost BC scam is uh, floundering big time because of a lack of electricity. So again, with mounting evidence from these internal sources, why is the Premier putting cost BC scheme that will shrink the economy by 10%, massive job cuts across, and cut family incomes by $11,000 a year? Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Well, it, it's true. Our government has created an investment environment where we have a long line of proponents that want to invest right here in BC. It's also true uh, that because we have prioritized clean energy projects, that we have multiple hydrogen producers that want to locate in BC, across the province, who uh, just, just three of these projects requires 1,500 megawatts of power. This is massive. And uh, we don't want to do what the old government did. And, and we know what they did. In, uh, in 2004, there was a proposal for an aluminum facility in Port Alberni. Now, the previous government had a choice. Work with the proponent. Find a way forward. They were looking for a significant investment in electricity, 150 megawatts, honorable speaker. But instead of working with the proponent, they hit them with a $1.3 billion bill under the BC Hydro Tariff and told them that unless they paid $1.3 billion, the project couldn't go ahead. Well, guess what happened? The proponent walked, and Port, Port Alberni lost a transformative economic opportunity. Now, we face a similar challenge in Prince George with the Fortescue proposal. They need 1,000 megawatts of electricity. This is a transformative economic investment for Prince George. We've got to find a way forward. We're not going to do what the old government did and force that investment somewhere else. We're going to, we're going to find a way to move forward. We know we need a lot more electricity. That's why we issued through BC Hydro. That's why BC Hydro issued a 500 megawatt renewable power call. The first in a generation, Honourable Speaker. We're going to keep doing that work, but we've got to ensure affordability for British Columbians. We've got to ensure economic opportunities for the entire province. Kamloops North Thompson Supplemental. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. And I know this party loves to backdate things and look at things uh, in the past, but let's look at what's happening in real time under their watch. This is the government. This is the government that said, their minister said, Site C was on time and on budget when the keys to the government were handed over to them. Instead, we see it at least $10 billion over budget and way delayed. This is the government that cancelled IPPs and now is trying to re, uh, have them come back 
because they're finally acknowledging they don't have enough power. And this is the government whose energy minister just last week wrote a note saying, we don't have the power, they're going to have to downsize the same investment this Premier just tried praising. It's the NDP's cost-be-seen scheme that is failing. They basically decided, Mr. Speaker, to politically interfere with the BCUC in a desperate attempt to try to look like they were doing something. Secret backroom deals, bullying and intimidating businesses, killing green jobs, steamrolling the independent regulator, that is actually what's been revealed by the steady stream of these confidential documents. Instead of results, we get a blame game. The minister's memo actually confesses, and I quote, I worry BC Hydro is trying to dump their problems onto us, end quote. Once again, why is the Premier making BC Hydro ratepayers pay the price for his failing cost BC scheme? Premier. Thank you, uh, thank you Honourable Speaker. So, if, if, if it weren't the case that the evidence of the, the last five years was the complete opposite of what the member said, if we weren't currently delivering 12.4% savings over what the old government's rate plan was for all British Columbians, saving families more than $100, saving businesses more than $1,000, saving industrial customers more than $100,000 no. a year. Members. There, there, is only, there is only one party that's prioritized ratepayers in this House, and that is this government. And if that party was on this side of the House, families would be paying at least $140 a year more for hydro. And there's only one party that is delivering on a clean economy, including 450 amazing family supporting jobs in Maple Ridge, and a long line of other proponents that want to invest here, and we want them to invest here, and we have a task force to deliver the power to make sure they can invest here, but we're not going to do it at the expense of British Columbians. It's going to be for the benefit of British Columbians for generations to come. Member for Courtney East. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Let's be clear on the clean economy here. BC United were the ones that kick-started the clean power industry. Want to hear any groans on the other side? Members, Indru introduction members, to IPPs, to the standing offer program of 2008, the Clean Energy Act in 2010, and the NDP have fought it all the way. For example, in 2019, the NDP attacked clean energy producers, made up mainly by Indigenous nations, wrongfully claiming BC didn't need the power. Now they're trying to scoop them all back in again. It's absolutely shameful, Honourable Speaker. The NDP have left BC in this position with the power shortage that we're facing today. Instead of owning up, they're ramping up their political games. Why has the Premier wasted years doing nothing but kill clean power projects, slashing green jobs, and creating the power shortage we face today? Premier. Can you imagine uh, how transformative it would have been in Port Alberni had there been a clean aluminum plant in that city? That's a city that needs economic development, and instead of facilitating it, the previous government killed it with a billion-dollar bill. For, for res regular mom-pa hydro customers across the province, families in this province, they hit them with an 80% rate increase for BC Hydro. And their rate plans, if they had stayed in government, would have hit them even more. And, and the member says 
now, apparently, that the other side of the house, they suddenly believe in a clean economy. Despite the fact that they just released their climate plan, they just released their climate plan. It says their big plan is we're going to put out the fires. Okay, well, that's a good start. Okay, well, what else are you going to do? What else Members. are you going to do? Well, we're going to, we're going to warm up. Members, members will come to order. We're members. going to warm up Christy Clark's LNG plan. Members, 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 mem for God's sake, please. <laughs> Premier will continue. We've, we've reduced, we've reduced emissions. We've grown the economy. Since we launched Clean BC, BC's GDP growth has been the highest in Canada among large provinces. BC workers earn the highest wages in Canada. We have one of the lowest unemployment rates in Canada. Last year's job creation was three times higher than what the Leader of the Opposition issued in a press release when he was climbing. Exports are up 41%, Honourable Speaker. Foreign direct investments up 250%. We're going to keep delivering for British Columbians, affordability first, economic development for this province that is clean for our kids, for the Members. future. They hate it, but we love it, and so do British Columbians, Honourable Speaker. The balance question period.